calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. The Rookie is a free serialized audiobook meant for mature audiences. Written and performed by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. For links to order a young adult version of this book without all the cussing, in print, ebook, or audiobook, visit scottsigler.com slash the rookie one word. This podcast contains mature situations, adult language, and lots and lots of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, you junkified chunk of sweetness. I am so close being finished with Shakedown. Book one of the Crypt series. Heck, I might be done by the time you hear me saying these wonderful, wonderful words. So for now, let's focus on The Rookie. Four episodes left, including this one. Then we will have our world-famous Q&A episode, which we do at the end of every podcast novel. And we do that live on Sigler in Place, our weekly live stream that we show on YouTube, on Twitch, and on Facebook. A real girl herself will read your questions to me, and I will answer live. That episode will take place November 30th at 6 p.m. Pacific Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 a.m. GMT. You should join us for the live event. It's very fun. We have many junkies in the chat room. It's a grand old time. You can see my smiling face, a smiling face. It's a, it's a whole bunch of happy is what it is. You can watch those every Wednesday, again, at 6 p.m. Pacific Time, 9 p.m. Eastern, at facebook.com slash scottsigler, twitch.tv slash Scott Sigler, and youtube.com slash Scott Sigler. I do say, do it every week. There are weeks where we're traveling, where we go doing a pitch in LA or something like that. So, And we announce it always on Facebook. We announce it on Twitter. We announce it as a text. By the way, if you're not getting our text, send the word SIGTEXT, one word, S-I-G-T-E-X-T, to 855-955-5095. That gets you on our text list. We send out one maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, depending, letting you know all the fun stuff that is going on. Plus, everyone who has signed up for that text list, we will launch our new website sometime in 2023, early 2023. You'll get a big fat 10% off coupon that you can use to buy all of the stuff that you like. Hell of a deal. So, if you have a question about the rookie or the GFL or anything Sigler related, you can email that question to info at empty set. We will get it on our Q&A episode. And if you wind up missing the live stream, don't worry. We strip that audio out. We put it in the podcast feed. That Q&A podcast episode will run December 4th, 2022 in this very feed. Let me get you caught up in the story so far. And then we're all going to go do the Chang Bang. Previously on The Rookie. 
The Krakens have notched five straight wins and are on the precipice of capturing the quith-irradiated conference title. If they win tonight's game, that conference title puts them into the Tier 2 playoffs and gives Quentin and the gang a shot at promotion to Tier 1. Don Pine dressed for the game, but had about as much a chance of seeing field time as the purest nation had of winning the Intergalactic Sentient Peace Award for good deeds done to other species. The team still didn't know, save for Virak and Quentin, but Hokor the Hookchest knew. Greedock had obviously informed his workaholic coach that Donald Pine, two-time Galaxy Bowl champion, one-time league MVP, and erstwhile savior of the Ionath Krakens franchise, had been taking Hokor's detailed game plans and basically using them to wipe his ass. Pine had gone from starter to the doghouse faster than a ship moving in punch drive. At least thus far, Hokor hadn't told anyone else. Too many beings now knew. It was only a matter of time until the rest of the team discovered Pine's horrible secret. And when it came out, Pine's presence would be most unwelcome in the Kraken's locker room. But Quentin didn't have time to worry about that shit right now. It wasn't his problem anymore. He had a whole new set of problems, 44 of them to be precise, each one wearing the metallic silver uniforms of the Quith survivors. A losing team, my ass. The only thing that matters is how they match up against us, and they match up very well indeed. The survivors weren't a losing team. They were an enemy, an obstacle standing between him and his dream. No, far more importantly, the survivors were standing between his team and his team's dream. There wouldn't be any fucking interceptions today, just completions, just a calm, methodical march down the field and a strangulating game of ball control and field position. He wasn't going to give the survivors any chances to get into this game and get a very erroneous thought in their brains that they had any right to be on the same field as the Ionath motherfucking Krakens. Ball control. It's ball control, it's patience, it's field position. Ball control. The plants looked just like Carsenji grass, with the blades blazed a fluorescent orange. Black lines and numbers popped off the field in stark contrast. The first offensive play of the game, Kraken's ball, First and ten from their own 33. Is that what I think it is? Are those dumb fucks in woman to woman when I've got three burners on the field? But a bat won his hands on the center's carapace. Man, fuck ball control. Let's go downtown. Flash! Flash! Heads and eye stalks turned to look at him, waiting for the audible. He was changing the play at the line. Blue 22! He shouted down the left side of the line. Haywick had been lined up three feet to the left of Rick Warburg. Haywick jogged another ten yards to the left, her defender following. She stopped, stood, and waited for the snap. Blue! 22! He shouted down the right side of the line. Scarborough and Mesquitic stood at five and seven yards, respectively, away from the right tackle, Vuko Will. Mesquitic on the line of scrimmage, Scarborough one step back from it. With the audible... Mesquitic took one step forward, while Scarborough took a step back, then went in motion to the sidelines, 
a slow jog that took her 15 yards out. Blue 22! Quentin shouted behind him. The fullback, Tom Perilous, and the tailback, Mitchell Fayette, had been in an eye formation. Tom in a three-point stance, Fayette two yards behind him, hands on his knees, head up high. They quickly adjusted so that they stood side by side in a pro set. Quentin turned back to the line. Hut, hut, hut! The line erupted with crashes and clacks and grunts for the game's first trench battle. Perilous and Fayette each took a step up and a step outside, where they crouched, waiting for the first opportunity to block. Quentin dropped straight back, slipping between the two running backs like they were centurions guarding some ancient gate. Haywick and Mesquitic shot downfield on streak patterns, while Scarborough ran forward for 15 yards, then angled to the middle of the field on a post pattern. Those patterns drew single coverage from the two cornerbacks and the safety. Quentin watched the free safety, the key to the play. Haywick and Scarborough were both running even with their defenders, but Quentin could tell they still had an extra step in their gas tanks. The safety ran to the outside to pick up the Kraken's most deadly threat, Haywick. And that was all Quentin needed to see. He cocked his arm and threw just as Tom Perilous undercut the first key defender to make a run for a sack. The ball arced downfield, not a perfect spiral this time, but marred by a tiny bit of wobble. It didn't look pretty, but it was on target. Scarborough remained step for step with her defender for another two seconds, then put on a sudden burst of speed that took her just a few feet past. She timed the ball perfectly, leaping high into the air to catch the ball without a single mid-air twist or turn or alteration. The defender reached for it, but Scarborough kicked out with her right leg, hitting the defender in the chest. The blow knocked the defender back just a bit, and when the two hit the ground, she still had a good three steps of clearance, more than any Sklerno needed, just 15 yards from the goal line. Scarborough ran into the end zone. Her first play from scrimmage, a 67-yard touchdown strike. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. The rest of the game brought more of the same. Quentin had never felt so in sync before, not even in his purest nation days. He knew exactly where his receivers were at all times. The receivers seemed to read his thoughts breaking off patterns to find the ball already in the air, moving to open spots in perfect time with any of Quentin's scrambling efforts. He saw every defender, every disguise coverage, every blitz. He saw the sideways rolling Quith Warrior linebackers and knew when they would pop up into a pass-covering stance. When he ran, 
He knew when they would lean in for the tackle, when their balance was all forward, and that told him just when to spin. Juke moves just didn't work on him, but half the time, spin moves left them falling flat on their face. He saw key defensive linemen raging past his offensive line. He saw them gather and knew when to step up just as they released. They sprang violently forward to grasp only empty air. He saw the speed and timing of the Sklorno defensive backs and knew just where to throw to avoid them. He even saw a safety blitz and two corner blitzes, but each time he threw in a fraction of a second, hitting the open receiver before the streaking defensive back could close on him. Nothing could touch him. The Kraken's defense played its best game of the season. Aside from one long run by Chuch Matumbo, the survivor's tailback, the defense shut everything down. By the end of the third quarter, the Krakens were up 28-7 and in clear control of the game. And that was when disaster struck. Third and three on the survivor's 35-yard line. Quentin surveyed the defense. He could have audible to a slant pass because the linebacker was cheating inside, but he opted to go with the called play, a sweep to the right. He didn't want to put the ball in the air now, nothing that might give the survivors a chance to get back in the game. Dressed in metallic silver jerseys, leg armor, and helmets, the survivors' defense looked like a bunch of old-time science fiction robots, ones that had been through a losing battle and were now covered in orange grass stains, dirt, and blood. Lots of blood. Still, they weren't giving up, and even though they were having their asses handed to them on a platter, the survivors' defense fought as hard as they could on every play. Hut, hut, hut! The ball slapped into Quentin's hands. He pivoted backwards off his right foot, coming all the way around before softly pitching the ball to Fayette. Already moving right, Fayette caught the ball and ran parallel to the line of scrimmage. Kopor the climber out in front to block. Shoto Thicket, the left guard, stepped back and pulled to the right, giving Fayette two blockers on the quick pitch. The play's design was simple. Get outside as fast as possible and try to cut up and out. A good block on the outside linebacker could leave Fayette one-on-one with slender Scalorno defensive backs, a punishing equation that would almost always end with Fayette driving the defender back for positive yards, if not breaking the tackle outright for a big game. Quentin watched the three Kraken sweep right. White jerseys with black numbers and orange trim. Orange leg armor with black piping. Orange and black helmets. The outside linebacker, a powerful heavy G giant from Rodina named Sven Drobner, drove upfield as the middle linebacker, Kylie Cannell, used his impressive speed to dash towards the sidelines, trying to stay just inside of Fayed's left shoulder, preventing an inside cutback that could go for big yards. Drotner crashed forward like a tank. Shoto Thicket tried to reach him, but Drotner stepped to the right tackle's outside shoulder and drove past, batting away strong key arms like some mere annoyance. Shoto Thicket gathered and leapt, but it was too late. Kopor the climber stepped up and met Drotner head on. The resulting collision sent a clack so loud it was heard in the upper deck, even over the roar of the crowd. Kopor was knocked back as if he were a child, rolling ass overhead right into Fayed. Fayed reached one arm down as his feet came off the ground. 
His extended hand met Kopor's shoulder pad. Fay had pushed off quickly, an amazingly athletic move, his arm absorbing the shock. Instead of being knocked over, he was simply knocked back. His live feet landed on the ground. He stumbled once, then recovered and headed for the sidelines. Fayad's athleticism was a wonder to behold, but Canal was no slouch and used Fayad's momentary stumble to close the gap. Canal dove, his big fingers grabbing handfuls of Fayad's jersey. Fayad's strong legs pumped away, dragging the prone, 420-pound Canal along for the ride. The defensive back Toppenby raced upfield at max speed, a silver streak headed for the encumbered Fayad. Fayad started to lower his shoulder, but like a water skier bouncing up from some trick move, Canal slid to his feet, his fingers still deeply wrapped in Fayad's jersey. With a primal grunt, Canal planted his feet and swung. The motion first stopped Fayad cold, then ripped him in a blurring, backwards, horizontal arc. At the end of the arc, almost 360 degrees from where he started, the white jersey blur met the oncoming silver jersey flash of Toppenby. With a crack, that made the Drottner Coport version sound quiet by comparison. Quentin winced as the two came together. The crowd oohed in satisfaction, most of them probably wincing themselves. Canal pounded his chest like a gorilla, playing to the crowd. Toppenaby slowly rose to her feet, stumbled, then fell. Fayed didn't get up. His foot twitched, and the fingers of his left hand opened and closed spasmodically but he didn't get up. He was laying face down. Actually, he should have been face down because his stomach and chest were on the ground, but his face was actually looking up. Oh, hi, one! Quentin ran to his teammate. Fayed's eyes were wide with terror. He tried to breathe, but couldn't seem to draw air. His head was turned so far around, he could have almost looked down and seen his own spine. A fan! Quentin reached for his teammate, then kept his hands away, remembering someone telling him once not to touch a head or a neck injury. Fayad said nothing. His foot kept twitching, but his hand suddenly stopped the spasmodic opening and closing. The fingers froze in mid-move, curled and rigid like a talon. Quentin was distantly aware of a med sled racing out and Doc fluttering down next to Fayad. Quentin felt a hand, or a tentacle, he didn't know, grab his shoulder pad, and gently pull him back. Doc pulled a laser scalpel from his bag and deftly sliced off Fayed's back armor. Doc then removed a small, rectangular device. He punched a few buttons on the device, then pressed it against Fayed's back. There was a sickening, squelching sound as tendrils reached out of both sides of the device and penetrated Fayed's skin, curling in towards the spine. A soft light started flashing on the device. Bump, 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 bump. Doc zipped to the med sled and maneuvered over the top of Fayed's body. The metallic tendrils reached down. The med sled lifted, and Fayed rose off the ground without his body moving an iota, like some magician's trick of levitation. Doc flew off the field, the med sled moving behind him, slowly, so as not to jostle Fayed. As the carton patient slid noiselessly towards the tunnel, Quentin's sharp eyes remained fixated on the orange light. Bump, bump. Bump, bump. 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 Nothing. 
before Faye had slid into the tunnel. Quentin knew the orange light had stopped flashing. Quentin finished the game. He didn't know how he did it, but he did it nonetheless. He even scored another touchdown, this one a 12-yard run. He had to do the running himself. Yasud's face went pale each time Hokor called his number and ran with all the intensity of a galley cook. When the game was on, Quentin didn't have to think about it. Either ran the offense on the field, every last scrap of his intellect devoted to analyzing the defense, or he sat on the sidelines, intently studying a holo table of the last series, in case he found a weakness to use on the next possession. But when the final seconds ticked off the clock, and the scoreboard read Kraken's 35, Survivor 7, he didn't have anything left to distract him. The team gathered in the central meeting room. Hokor stood in front of the holo board as usual. Except this time, his eye wasn't black or orange or even pink. It was deep purple, opaque purple. Quentin had never seen that color before, but somehow he knew exactly what it meant. First of all, I want to sing all of your praises for a hard-fought game. We played in one as a team. I have very little to say of negative things. The INF Krakens are now the champions of the Quith-Irradiated Conference. A half hour ago, that same phrase would have drawn a deafening roar from the assembled players. Now it was met with silence, a silence broken only by some human trying to clear phlegm from his throat. We have lost one of our warriors. Hokor looked down at his palm top. Mitchell Fayed suffered a severed spinal cord and a collapsed lung. Doc tried to use the Galthier spinal cord controller to regulate Fayed's breathing and heart rate, but there was too much damage, too soon. Attempts to repair the damage and reanimate him have failed. Quentin looked over to the source of the sob. John Tweedy, big, dangerous, deadly John Tweedy, sat on a bench, his elbow on his knee, his forehead propped on his hand, his eyes squeezed shut, his solid shoulders shaking in time with his sobs. The noise seemed to open a dam of emotion. Other humans started sobbing, or sniffling, or coughing to hide their self-perceived weakness. One of the key linemen produced a long, serrated knife. They passed it from one to the next, taking turns cutting a long gash into their own upper left arm. With each cut, black blood spilled down in a noisy, splattering rivulet, spreading across the tile floor. They're letting their own blood, so it can join Fayed's blood on the field of battle. Masal the efficient silently slipped out of the Quith Warrior locker room. He walked over to Virak the Mean, who sat limply on the floor. Masal opened the box and removed a metallic, pen-like instrument. The instrument hummed lightly as Masal started moving it across the chitin on Virak's left forearm. Chodo the Bright stood behind Virak, Killick the Unworthy behind him, a line of quith warriors slowly forming. Quentin didn't recognize the new writing on Virak's shell, but he knew it was a quith rendition of Fayad's name. It stunned Quentin to see a human name being written on a quith warrior's shell. But that's what Fayad's constant, punishing work ethic had meant to everyone. Quentin felt cold. Fayette had been on the field with him, battling away, not even an hour ago. And now, he was gone. Horrible injuries were part of the game. 
big bodies, strong bodies, and speed. Force equals mass times velocity. Beings got hurt, but then beings got fixed. All the plaques he'd seen in all the stadiums, commemorating those who died on the field. And it seemed somehow distant. Something from the game's past, from before the reality that embraced him once he joined the ranks of the elite. Fayed was dead. Quentin wasn't about to let that death be for nothing. He looked to Donald Pine. Instinctively, he expected Pine to stand and say something, anything. Talk of how the team would win for Fayed. But Pine said nothing. He just sat there, head bowed. He was a disgraced man, and even though the team didn't know it, he knew it. Don Pine was broken. His mantle of leadership, gone. With sudden clarity, Quentin realized that he now held that mantle. Something had to be said, and he was the only one who could say it. The team started to head to their separate dressing rooms when Quentin stood and spoke. Um, I need to say a few words. The players stopped where they were. They looked back at him. They looked at him in the same way that he had just looked at Pine. They wanted someone to lead them. Fayette! He started to talk, but his voice cracked. He felt his throat thicken and tears tried to fight their way out of his eyes. He held his eyes shut tight and took a deep breath. The machine. He was a great running back. All he wanted to do was play tier one ball. That was his dream. Quinn looked around the room, in turn looking each player in the eye. His voice suddenly changed, from on the verge of tears to a cold steel baritone that rang through the soul of every being in the room. He's still with us. He's still on this team. And if we make it to Tier 1, he makes it to Tier 1. No one in this room is going to let him down. Coach, who do we play? Hokor tapped a button on his palm top. We have the second best record in the tournament, based on a point-scored tiebreaker with the Texas Earthlings. That means we have a bye in the first round. We play the winner of the Texas Earthlings and the Errol Archers. Quentin nodded slowly, turning so that he could look every player right in the eyes again. None of them said a word. A bye. That means we're automatically in the semifinals. We win that game, that one game, and we are in Tier 1. We win that game, and Mitchell the Machine Fayed gets his Dream. I don't care who steps on that field. Earthlings, archers, it doesn't make any difference. Either way, they're going down. Quentin nodded once. The team nodded once. Quentin Barnes walked to the human locker room. And welcome to the GFL Daily Download, brought to you by Quasar Sports Drink. Introducing their new flavors, Ancestor Apple and Billabub Berry. Earthlings face Kraken in Tier 2 semifinals by Kingen the Witty. Earth Associated Press. In a game that really wasn't as close as the scores indicate, the Texas Earthlings defeated the A-Roll Archers 21-17 to advance to the Tier 2 semifinals. 
The Earthlings faced the Iron Earth Krakens, champions of the Quith Irradiated Conference. The Earthlings defense led the way, allowing only 10 points. The Archers managed one defensive score to keep it close, a 22-yard interception return for a touchdown by Minneapolis. Earthlings linebacker Alonzo Castro was named the game's most valuable player. Castro, a rookie from the Sigurd Norseman of the PNFL, had eight solo tackles along with an interception and a critical quarterback sack, his fifth of the season. Castro's speed has taken our defense to a new level, said Earthlings coach Pat of the Calculating. Teams have to watch out for him, and that helps keep double teams off of Choco Thillet. Choco Thillet, the Earthlings' all-pro defensive tackle, finished the day with two sacks and five tackles. He, Choco Thillet, was basically unblockable, said Archer's coach David Dejadin. We couldn't do anything with him. He injured three linemen. I'm glad the season is over because we couldn't even field an offensive line right now. He's the hardest hitter in the game. Offensively, the Earthlings moved the ball with an efficiency and didn't give up a single turnover. Quarterback Case Johansson went 21 out of 34 for 225 yards and a 12-yard touchdown pass to running back Peter Loachi. The Earthlings utilized a ball control offense, chewing up the clock by relying on running back Pookie Chang. Chang racked up 122 yards on 27 carries, including touchdown runs of 3 and 7 yards. And that is your GFL Daily Download. Give us an uplink and we'll give you all the scores fit for print. You have been listening to The Rookie, book one of the Galactic Football League series. Produced by Ariok Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. For more information on the author and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon, superweaponband.com. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.